Man, I, I, have I told you guys I, I love River City Church? I mean, I, just sitting here through testimonies, I just, to see what God's doing in this church is amazing. I mean, I, did you catch Paul's story, you know, when he was up here talking about, I mean, he, in prayer ministry, found Jesus. He became a Christian in prayer ministry, and I just thought, man, what the power of God. And then stories of, in some of the hardest times in life, saying, you know, I don't care what is going on around me, what I see, but I am standing on the firm foundation that is Jesus. When, when everything falls away, I'm standing on Jesus. Man, that's an amazing truth. It's amazing that that seemed to be you know, where the service is leading, and it's, it's where I'm kind of headed this morning. Last week I talked about us opening our eyes to um, just the fallen and broken world that we live in and how we engage with the poor, the least, the last, and the lost, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless. And not because we should feel guilty because we have a lot and they have a little, but because it's part of God's heart. And when we engage in that, when we're part of that, when we actually open our eyes to what's going on and we see people and we gaze at that kind of brokenness and poverty, that instead of us beginning to doubt God more, this miraculous thing happens that we align with what God's global and local purpose for us in, the, in this redemptive story and our eyes are open and we worship more. We're closer to God. We see God in those moments. And this morning I wanted to, this is like part two of Open Your Eyes, but we're going a different direction this morning. This morning we're talking about opening our eyes to the cross. In the darkest and the hardest moments, um, seeing something that doesn't seem to be in front of us, that doesn't seem to be there, and what we anchor ourselves in. We sung that this morning, how we anchor ourselves in God's love. So that's kind of where we're headed this morning. We're um, going to be looking at Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 18. You can go ahead and turn there, but I wanted to... Um, uh, some of you probably know this about me. Um, most of y'all know that I'm, a little, I'm just a hair redneck. I've mentioned that probably every time that I've spoken. But this is, this is kind of headed the other direction. Um, my mom um, is, a, is very um, artistic... You know, that, that's kind of the way she's, she always was, always took me to art shows. She's been an interior decorator for, uh, you know, most of my life. And that's had a profound influence on me, shockingly enough. And I, I love design. I love interior decorating. I love that kind of thing. I'll walk in a room and I love everything about kind of examining the lighting, the way things are set up, the way the chairs are set up, the colors that they use, the smell of the room. You know, how it smells when you walk in definitely affects the way that you feel when you walk into a room. You know, the music that's playing. I mean, there's places that you walk in and all of a sudden you feel like, man, I, it just, just feels like home. I feel like I can let my hair down, party a little here, feel relaxed. You know what I'm talking about? And then there's places that you walk in that are like sterile. You know, there's like institutional blue and you walk in and you're like, God, this place just feels awful. You know, I just don't want to be here anymore, like fluorescent lighting. And, you know, I feel like I'm in a classroom. I'm back in the fifth grade and my teacher's yelling at me. I mean, it's just not good. It just reminds you of different things. I love that whole thing. I'm into that. I dig it, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that you know, not many people know about me. Actually, Paul Buckley has kind of coined a phrase for who I am, because I'm a little bit of an anomaly. I'm a redneck, but I like interior decorating. <laughs> I mean, so I don't know if you've heard the term being metro, but he says, you're not quite metro, you're a metro neck. <laughs> I said, somebody's finally kind of found a singular term to describe who I am. But you can guess what show I love if, if, uh, if you've heard what I'm saying. Guess, guess what it is. 
Uh, yeah, I hear it all over. HGTV, baby. I love some HGTV. I mean, Design Star. I mean, come on. You got to be kidding me. Hidden Potential. The Outdoor Room. I love some outdoor life. The Outdoor Room. These crazy places they create. I'm like trying to do it, at, you know, on a dime at my house at the beach. It's just not working out. But um, I love those shows because there's amazing transformation that happens in those, in those shows. I mean, House Hunters, you ever seen House Hunters? I, mean, I get excited. I'm like, I could live in some third world country on the beach for the price that I'm paying for my house here. And I could do it. But there's one show, it's called Hidden Potential, where they, where they go into these kind of, you know, these people have a, have a budget and they want to live in a certain area of town, but they can't really afford a fully fixed up house in that side of town. So they pick three houses that they're going to look at and they're going to kind of redesign these dumps. You know, these places that don't look like they, you know, could ever amount to anything. And the designer goes in with the family and they've got a certain budget and they look at it. And you look at these places and they're, you know, the walls are falling in or they're just set up wrong. The walls are in all the wrong places. There's like one bathroom and eight bedrooms. You're like, we got to, there's something's got to happen here. I mean, it's just these disaster houses. And then the designer walks away, comes back, you know, in the, in the next cut of the, the scene. And he's got this amazing layout of the exact, the, the home, but he's redesigned everything. They've moved walls around. They've done this extraordinary thing to the space that you never would have seen with your own eyes unless you were a designer unless you were the master unless you were the one that actually knew what was going on and this morning I really wanted to kind of come around this idea of there's times in our lives when we're in spaces where we're like there's no hope for this space the walls are falling in life is kind of crushing us things are coming down around us and we're like man this is there's nothing good about this space and I don't know how anything could possibly be done here my life's falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. My kids are absolutely running away from God and I don't know how to deal with it. And when you're face to face with that, we don't have vision. It's hard for us to open our eyes to see what God's doing in that. And this morning I wanted to um, kind of come around this idea that you know, we're to open our eyes, even in those moments, to see the things that are unseen, to see what God's doing um, even before the room has been redecorated before the walls have been moved and repaired and restored and renewed. So let's look at Ephesians 1. Um, let's kind of dive right in. And I'm going to read a, a few verses leading into verses 17 and 18. I'm going to start in 11, but really what I want you to listen to and get is 17 and 18. So let's walk through this together. In verse 11 it says this, In Him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. So right there, being Paul's encouraging the church, saying, Hey, before the foundation of the world, God's had a plan. No matter what you're seeing, no matter what's going on, I've got a plan. And it's good. I work out everything the way that I want it to, and it's good. In order that we who were first to hope in Christ, it's a key term, us hoping in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I love that, a deposit. I love the idea that the Holy Spirit's a deposit, something that we've got, something tangible that God's like, bing, we got a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. I love that. Okay, rolling into verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and the, your love for all of the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I love Paul. I mean, he's such a great example as a pastor. I mean, no duh. I mean, it's Paul. But 
I love that he comes in and he's always encouraging the church. And that's what I'm, I love, I've got, it's like I get to plagiarize right here in Ephesians. I get to do what Paul's doing. I get to encourage you and kind of wrap my, my brain around this idea along with you of Paul praying for the church. And that's where he rolls into. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So you've got a pastor saying, hey, I, not only am I thanking God for you, but I remember you when I'm praying, when I'm in my prayer time, there's things that I'm, I'm petitioning God for. I'm asking God to do things in you that you cannot do for yourself. These things have to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 17, he kind of comes around this idea of this is what I want to happen. This is what I've been praying for. This is what you need. This is the, the, the juice that you need to continue. He says, I keep asking God, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Love that. So that you may know him better. So he's saying, I want, to, I, want, I want the Spirit to give you this wisdom and revelation. I want you to open your eyes. I want God to reveal something to you that you didn't know and that you didn't see before through the power of his Spirit. That you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart be enlightened or opened in order that you may know the hope. I love that. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And I love this idea that Paul's saying, you need to know God better. It's not just a one-time deal. You know, we all of a sudden pull our ticket, salvation ticket, and, you know, we know who Jesus is. We know we were, you know, our sins are forgiven. He died on the cross for us. And now we, you know, when, when it all ends, we get to go to heaven. But it's something, it's a, it's a process of us getting to know him. And I love, I, I was doing some uh, studying, and I always go to desiringgod.com where John Piper hangs out because he's a smart fella, a lot smarter than I am, to see what he has to say about it. In this passage, he says this, he says, And the knowing here is not the kind of knowing that the devil has. He says, there's a difference in this type of knowing. The devil knows who Jesus is, knows who God is, has a knowledge of who he is. But this is a deeper knowing, a knowing that the, that, that the enemy cannot have. He means know in the sense of conscious experience. It's an experience. And I love this description right here. He says, it's the difference between knowing this brown stuff is honey because of the label on the jar... And knowing this is honey because of tasting it. The devil doesn't taste the wonder of this knowledge. Paul is praying that we would know with the knowledge of conscious experience. He's saying your eyes have got to be open to who God is. Because you, you've got to taste it. It's a whole different thing to know who God is. But to taste it, to experience it, to be a part of that in that way is going to be beneficial for you as you're fighting this fight and bringing the gospel to the nations. As, as just as being a church, because you're going to go through things that will bring you to your knees. You're going to need to know God. You're going to need to know God. And I don't know where you are in your, in your life, and you might think, oh, you know, I'm not having trouble. Life's cruising along just fine for me. Everything's good. But Jesus is clear that in John 16, he says, in this life, what? We'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. So that's kind of this idea that we're getting around um, this morning. It's just this idea of this revelation of who God is and that we desperately, desperately need to experience God in that way because it makes a difference when we're in the moment that everything else is falling down around us. When we're in that room and the walls are crumbling and we can't see any vision past that. We just think it's a disaster that can't be rectified. Now... I'm getting ready to tell you a little bit about myself, kind of a personal story that I haven't said many times in front of the church. I haven't, I haven't really spoken about it too much. And I was, I was asking Beth this week why I haven't. 
talked about it. I don't know if it's pride or it's like, you know, you just don't want people to know about your dark periods in your life that much. Like the, the, the moments when, you know, the walls are coming in. You know, as a, as a preacher and as a pastor, I, I think it's great to be transparent. But for some reason, and I, I'm usually pretty transparent, but for some reason I've avoided it. You know, I'm like, you know, this is not something I really want to get up here and talk about. Maybe it's because it was so painful and it was a difficult time. But it was something that absolutely shaped who I am. It absolutely, as I look back at that, this time in my life, it, it absolutely shapes, you know, the, the, the things that I'm saying to you this morning. And several years ago, I wasn't in ministry and I was uh, I, I, on a business trip. I was in Ohio, um, came back in town late. Was up late talking to Beth, playing the guitar, goofing around, and all of a sudden my, my left hand started to go numb. And it was not super troubling. You know, you lean on something funny or do something funny, and you're, sometimes you're, you lose, you know, some feeling in your hand. But it stayed there for a while, and all of a sudden I realized, okay, this isn't a normal, like, you know, deal. And it started to kind of creep up my arm, creep up my, my um, forearm, my shoulder, and next thing you know, I felt numb on my face. And I don't know if you've ever, if you know anything about neurology, like this stuff is okay and explainable, but when you get up to the face, it's a little more troubling um, in the neurology world, and I found that out uh, uh, later. But I wasn't too freaked out by it, went to bed and um, woke up the next day, and and I was super stiff, and my my body just felt funny, didn't feel, something didn't feel right. So I called Beth's cousin, who was a doctor, and said, hey, I got these symptoms, they're kind of weird. Let me describe them to you. And he said, dude, those, those are not good symptoms. You need to go to the, you need to go to the doctor or check, get that checked out. It's not good. So I kind of you know, thought, okay, I need to make an appointment. I need to talk to my doctor. It would be a good thing. But in the middle of the day that day, all of a sudden, something hit me like a ton of bricks. And it was like symptoms all over the left side of my body. I felt awful. Um, there was pain mixed with you know, you know, numbness. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. And I'm one of those people that doesn't really go to the doctor. Not because I'm scared of the doctor. Maybe I am just a little. Um, but just hadn't. And I, I'm embarrassed to say I hadn't been to the doctor in 10 years. 10 years. So, I, I mean, I could have had all kind of junk wrong. They, you know, they start checking around like, dude, you have not been in to get your oil checked in a while. You need to really get, come in here more often. Um, but I hadn't gone to the doctor. Every time I'd get sick or something, my brother-in-law was a pharmaceutical rep and he had like a little you know, cabinet. And I would just go in there and kind of flip through the stuff. I'm like, that's probably what I need. When I said that last night, my wife's like, shh, don't say that. He's not a pharmaceutical rep anymore, by the way. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. So I, I, I had this episode in the middle of the day, and I call the doctor that I didn't know who they were and existed. I had to flip through my deal and find them. And I didn't talk to the doctor, which is pretty usual with your, you know, your HMO. It's like, okay, you're going to talk to the PA, not to knock all the PAs out there. This PA was awesome. She told me, you need to go to the hospital right now. Your symptoms are bad. I don't like what's going on. So I jump in the car. I drive myself to the emergency room. Beth meets me there. My blood pressure's through the roof. (laughs) Explainable. I mean, dude, I was a little bit stressed out. I'll just say. I get there, they check me out, they do tons and tons of tests, they do a CT, nothing's wrong, they can't see anything that's wrong, and they're like, we realize that you're symptomatic, we realize that issues are going on, so we're going to send you to um, another doctor. So they schedule all kinds of appointments for tests, and um, this just started an absolute downward spiral and journey, because my symptoms began to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and I saw doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor, Every test you can possibly imagine. I had MRIs, CTs, every, I mean, every blood test. You were testing for everything you could possibly imagine because they weren't finding anything. So they're, you know, okay, we, we've ruled that out. You don't have this. We ruled that out. You don't have this. Every doctor had a different theory 
And every doctor was, it was different. Some were saying, yeah, we think this is probably what you have. But what scared me the most is, is like every third doctor would say, this looks a lot. You have a lot of the markers for MS. We did an EMG and you have real symptoms. I mean, there's actual things going on that we can see that are physical in your body all the way up to your face and it's troubling. And some of them would say, you know, this looks like this. And they'd say, we're not trying to scare you, but this is what this might be. And I don't know if you've ever, if when, when, when your health gets fooled with in that way and you begin to start to worry about it, I mean, it was an absolute fear, anger, anxiety. Everything was, was overcoming me. And in the middle of it, they were testing me for, um, I don't even remember what, they gave me a spinal tap. And it's not an enjoyable process in, in general, but mine went a little bit wrong. They, I guess the hole can sometimes be a little bit big when they pull it out. And the, it didn't heal up and I was leaking spinal fluid for like two months. And it gives you the worst headache on the planet. I mean, amongst all the other things were going on, I had these, I think they call them orthostatic headaches. And the only thing that would relieve it was laying down. And I'm a systems analyst. I I traveled all the time. I was a computer programmer. Massive pounding headaches was not really a great thing for my job. So I I would drag, I had a bed in my office for a couple of months. I'd lay on my back in the midst of all the other stuff that was going on. And I was in the darkest place you could possibly imagine. I mean, I was in depression. I was waking up in the middle of the night. I would be sweating like a hostage, wondering what's going on. It felt like somebody had plugged me into the wall. And I, if you ever gotten your funny bone hit like really hard, it's like, ah, my whole body felt like a massive funny bone. And it would not go away for hours. Um, it was just this dark, dark time. And I was so, I mean, my poor wife, I mean, if Beth was here, she'd tell you, it was not just a dark time for my husband. It was a dark time in the Harmon household altogether. Um, because I, you know, I don't know if you've seen the man cold video. I mean, a man gets a, just a cold and it's bad. You know, it's like the world is coming to an end. I need some medicine for this. Honey, honey, I can't get up. Okay, I had an undiagnosed neurological disorder. My household was hell on earth for my wife. I mean, I was just, you know, it was just not fun. And in the middle of this, this period, and, and I'd like to say it, 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 went, it was gone quickly, but it was years. And... I, I would get up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, you know, I'd, this thing would come on me and, and, and obviously I was exacerbating every one of my symptoms by stress and anxiety and all these other things. And every doctor was trying to give me, you know, they're like, you need narcotics and an antidepressant, you need some things to get you settled down. And I was angry at every doctor that I met. I'm like, don't give me any drugs, I want to know what's going on in my body, I don't want to, I don't, if I've got pain, I want to know where it's at. I was just one of those, I was a nightmare patient too. Um, so I'd get up in the middle of the night and, um, or, or really early in the morning. And I had nothing to do. At this point, I felt like God had stripped me of everything. You know, I had had thoughts and plans of going into ministry, but I'm like, at this point, you know, your health gets messed around with. You don't want to do anything but figure out what's going on. And it was like, I didn't care about money. I didn't care about my, you know, what kind of career I had. All that paled in comparison to my health. Everything was being stripped from me. And my, my mind was like singly focused on my health. And then this, this one night, I just, I went into my, um, in my living room and I just laid flat on the floor. I mean, just like prostrate before God. And I had prayed. I'd been to Christian healing ministries probably a dozen times getting prayer. I'd been everywhere. Anybody that said they wanted to pray for me, I'd drive to their house and say, pray for me because I wanted it to be gone. And I had nowhere else to go but to God. So I laid myself flat on my floor, face down, and I would just weep and pray. And I would open up my Bible and I would read through the Psalms just from the beginning to the end, not in one sitting, but I would read as long as I could until I'd fall asleep. And I would cry, go before God saying, I need, I'm so desperate for your presence. 
I'm so desperate for you to, to come in and, and restore me and pull me back together. And I would read through the Psalms and they would speak to me. And they would you know, say things like, you're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You're my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are the rock on which I stand. You are solid. You're a firm foundation. And I would just read and read and read and be encouraged and be encouraged and be encouraged. And I like to say, just reading the Psalms healed me and I just popped right up and everything was good. And I was like, hey, honey, I just had to read the Psalms and that was it. Done deal. But that wasn't it. This, this went on for a long time. And what was amazing is God was stripping me of everything and then he had his finger on this one thing. He's like, okay, I've got everything out of your life. I've got everything. You don't care about anything. You don't care about you know, money. You don't care about success. You don't care about anything. But you care about your health. And I've got this one thing and he's got his finger on it. He's like, you're going you're gonna to not care about this anymore. You're not going to worry about this anymore. This is going to go too. And the more and more I read, and the more and more the Psalms began to point me to the cross, all of a sudden I began to release this thing. I was like, you know what? Death can't. I mean, he's defeated death. He's defeated everything. He's taken everything out. You can, you can kill the body, but you can't kill the soul. Only he can. And I began to believe it. I began to see it. I began to focus on it. And the further and further I got away from that, that, those moments of anxiety and stress, and the more and more I would just get face down before God and experience His presence, just reading through the Psalms, worshiping and singing, and just holding on to whatever I could hold on to, it seemed like things started to get better. Things started to get better. And you know what? They've never diagnosed my deal. I mean, they've never figured out, you know, what, what is wrong with you. They're like, you're an anomaly. You're the un, un, we used to call it und in the house. Is und feeling bad today? U-N-D, undiagnosed neurological disorder. <laughs> and I'd say, no, und is terrible. I'm not feeling real good today. Or, hey, I haven't felt und in a while. It just seemed like f- it got further and further away from me. And the more and more I got my eyes focused on Jesus and who he was, I saw something that was extraordinary. And I saw that we can have, no matter what we see in front of us, that we can see beyond that supernaturally. We can see the cross. And in the moments that the the, the cross was taking place, when the disciples were all gathered around, they thought this was the tragedy of tragedies. They saw Jesus, you know, the guy that raised the dead, and he was being murdered on a cross. And they're like, this, he was going to be our king. He was going to be everything to us. And it's all being stripped away from us. It's all being pulled away. And they didn't know what to think about that. It was the, we, we would say, if we were in that moment and then we were face to face with it, we would have no vision to what God's doing. And they didn't. We would say it was the worst day in history. But you back up 2,000 years later, and what do we sing on Sunday morning? We say it's the greatest day in history. He can redo anything. He can remake anything. He's got feng shui like crazy You know what I'm saying? And in the middle of, you know, my ordeal, I realized there was this powerful thing, and you you heard it a little bit this morning in testimonies, that in the middle of the hardest times, when you have vision, there's such, such power in it. I mean, I think of the story in Daniel 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they're they're facing it. You know, they've decided, okay, we're not going to worship the golden idol. You've probably seen the VeggieTales movie if you haven't read it in Scripture. There's a big idol, right? You know, King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this idol and these three Jewish guys that were, you know, pr- actually pretty prominent in, in, in the area decided, you know, we're not, we're not going to worship. We're not going to bow. We're not going to, you know, that's not where we're going. And, the, you know, the penalty for that was going in the fiery furnace. Well, Nebuchadnezzar got real ticked off, made it super hot, so hot that the people that were just standing around the deal, you know, disintegrated, burnt. 
And they come before the king and they, they you know, he's like, dude, you know, why are you making me angry? Why are you doing this? And they say, Let, you know, we, we want to tell you this, king, that, you know, our God's big enough, he's great enough, he's the king of the universe, and he's, he's big enough to deliver us from this. And this is the powerful piece. They say, but even if he doesn't, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we still will not worship that God. And in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, I think those are some of the most powerful testimonies on the planet. When you are in the middle of it, you don't have any vision and you can't see around what God's doing and how he's putting things together. And you say, I don't care. You can't kill the flesh. There's nothing that you can do to me to hurt me. We are more than conquerors. We are victorious because he's defeated death. I've seen the cross. It was unexplainable at the time, but now I see it and it's amazing. There's power in that. And it brings hope that's unexplainable. It brought me hope in an amazing way. And now when I look back on that time, you know, I see that I would not give that time up for anything. I would never want to go back there, ever. But would I want, would I want that piece of my story to be removed? Absolutely not. It absolutely shaped who God was making me. It was the most miserable time in my life, but one of the most precious closest, most intimate times I ever had with God in my life. And me looking back and reading my journal, I can see God weaving this tapestry that I could not have thought of at the time. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know, you know what, your, what your deal is. It could be something extreme. It could be something small. But there is power. There is power in seeing with our supernatural eyes. It's what I'm praying for you is that you see something, that you taste God in a way, that you experience Him in a way that when those t- trouble time comes, that you'll be able to worship. You'll be able to worship in full faith knowing that He's better than the circumstance that you're in, that He can restore the room that you're in. Let's stand.